Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next 30 minutes, I would like to invite you to stay tuned because it could be perhaps the most important 30 minutes of your entire life. The Flatline is always about motivation, inspiration, education, and never, I repeat, never any manipulation because we don't have hidden agendas here. We're not trying to fool you. We're not trying to get you to give us anything. We're not trying to con you into anything. Nothing for you to join. This show is made up for you simply for one reason, to give you accurate information. Information, hopefully, that will help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. And if you're able to do that, then you have the freedom, the privacy for you to orient and adjust to that plan. So thank you for listening to The Flatline. It's been my privilege now to produce this radio show for over five years across the United States. And I don't know what city you're in. I really don't know where you are. But I'm praying for you and asking that you are listening, praying that you're listening, and praying that you're applying what you're learning. Our Lord said in Luke 11:27 and 28, Blessed are those who hear my Father's word and keep it. Now that's sort of a mistranslation by the word blessed, because that Greek word blessed is actually makairios in the Greek New Testament. And makairios means happiness, or happiness to those who hear my Father's word and keep it. And so as you hear the Word of God through a radio show such as this or at your local church or from some other person, then you have to make a decision about did I believe it and will I apply it into my life. And great happiness comes to the person who hears the Word of God and then in turn keeps what he hears, applies it into his life. This is called momentum. Having momentum in your life means that you hear and you keep the Word of God on a consistent basis. It's not easy to do. One of the hardest things is to get under someone's teaching and listen consistently to the teaching of the Word of God. And yet I have thousands of friends that do it every day, people that love the Lord and love His Word and study faithfully daily on a daily basis. Many study by DVD and some study by uh, MP3 or CD. But they find time each day to take in God's word into their life and establish what we call a flot line, F-L-O-T. You know that's the name of the show, the flot line. And flot stands for the forward line of troops. We're using a military analogy here to explain how the Christian life works. The forward line of troops is simply the ten problem-solving devices that you learn and apply into your life. This is nothing more than executing the Christian life, the life that Jesus Christ himself as a man demonstrated while he was on this planet and then passed on to us. The Christian life is the protocol plan of God. As we learn God's plan and develop ourselves under that plan, then we hopefully represent Jesus Christ in our community and represent Jesus Christ to our friends. So a developing a flat line, a forward line of troops, means that you are learning 10 unique problem-solving devices, and you're applying those 10 unique problem-solving devices into your life 
on a daily basis because every problem in life has a solution. Did you hear that? Every problem in life has a solution. And that's what these studies are seeking to do, to give you the solutions from the Word of God that are designed to help you understand what your options are. Whenever you encounter some problem, there's always options. And you can react to the problem, or you can respond to the problem. If you react, you'll react with bitterness and hatred and anger and maligning, or if you respond, you'll respond with forgiveness. You know, I had something happen just yesterday that I could have reacted to. Uh, we have a small dog that's blind, and my wife had him out in the yard, and a, a neighbor's dog came over and attacked him and bit him terribly. We had to take him to the vet and spend a lot of money at the vet, and he's still there. And plus, my wife got bit trying to pick up our dog who was injured. So, I mean, I could have gotten mad. I could have, maybe you would have went over there and punched the guy. But that's not the issue. So the issue is, did I react with anger, bitterness, storm over there and say, you've got to pay this vet bill and you got to pay for my wife's doctor bill? Or did I respond with forgiveness? I'm not non-confrontational. That's not me. I am confrontational sometimes. But I responded with forgiveness and uh, didn't even go tell the guy what his dog did. I'm sure if if he does it, someone else's neighbor, they'll tell him for sure. But see the point I'm making now? See, I can hear your mind thinking right now, if that was me, I'd have went over there and gave him a piece of my mind. That is not the Christian life. That is not the way to win people to Christ. So I have a solution. I can turn him over to the Supreme Court of Heaven, the little dog that... Attack my dog, had no idea what he was doing. He was just defending his territory, even though it was my yard. But whatever. <clears throat> but it's, listen, this is not my problem. So I turn it over to the Supreme Court of Heaven and let the Lord handle it. And we move on in life. I don't respond with anger and bitterness and hostility. So whenever you encounter a problem, how do you handle it? I uh, went down to recently I was visiting in a local church and I heard a pastor complaining about how much it cost him to get his car fixed and how they ripped him off. See, that's not the Christian life. Even though this man's a pastor, he fell into the same <clears throat> habit that I've fallen into before. And that's griping and complaining when someone overcharges us or what we think is too much. We would really would have liked to had it done for a hundred, but, uh, the garage says, no, that's 300. <laughs> well, that's the bill. That's the way it goes. And that's the way life is today. So stomping around, being mad, steaming, fuming about it, running off, uh, you know, complaining about it, that doesn't change things. It's not the way you live the Christian life. So every problem that we encounter has a solution. And the solution is the spiritual life. Because our biggest problem is not the guy's dog that bit my dog. Our biggest problem is not the mechanic who overcharged me for the repairs. My biggest problem is me. That's my biggest problem. It's my own sinful nature. And if I let that sinful nature take control of me, then I'll do something that I will later wind up regretting. You have a sinful nature, and I have one too. We both got it from Adam because the Bible says, For by one man... Sin came into the world, and death by sin has now passed on all, for all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. 
You see, we were born sinful. We were born with a sin nature. We might not have committed any sin until we got to the age of where we understood our volitional decisions and when we understood authority and mom and daddy said, no, don't do that. And we went around and did it anyhow. Once we understood authority, then we began to sin. But as a child, you're not sinning. You're just born sinful in a sinful condition because Adam's original sin is imputed to you the minute you're born. And the minute you're born, even though you're born physically alive, you're born spiritually dead because of Adam's original sin. Once that sin is imputed, you die spiritually. And you're born again spiritually when you believe in Jesus Christ. When you receive God's anointed Son as your Savior, then you are, in fact, born again or made spiritually alive. So my problem is my sin nature, and your problem is your sin nature. And you and I can have adversity. As a matter of fact, a lot of the adversity that we face is even self-induced. But adversity can come roaring into our life when we least expect it. And boom, down something goes, or boom, something happens, or wham, something goes crazy. And here's the adversity. And if we let our sin nature take control, if we get out of fellowship with God when that happens as a Christian, and we begin to react to the situation rather than responding to the situation, then we're just going to implode and make things much worse. So there is a way to live. You reduce your life to one simple thought. that We have to make good decisions every day, and those decisions have to be based on what the Bible says. The choice is ours, because life is a series of choices, and bad decisions limit future options. So if you make enough bad decisions, you're not going to have any options left. So the thing that's important for us to understand As believers in Jesus Christ, if in fact you are, is you must understand how the protocol plan of God functions, what the protocol plan of God entails, so that you do a right thing in a right way. Because a right thing in a wrong way is wrong. I don't care how you look at it. So the protocol plan of God refers to his plan. For each one of us. And it just simply means there's a right way to do something and a wrong way to do something. And God demands we do it the right way. That is, if we expect his approval in our lives. So his protocol is set forth in the Bible, the scriptures. When we study the Bible, when we learn the Bible, then we understand the protocol plan of God. If we don't understand it, then at at best we're going to be running around acting, and this is an old football term, see if you know what this means, acting like hot dogs. A hot dogger is a guy that doesn't want to follow the rules. He doesn't want to learn the plays. He just says to the coach, give me the ball, I'll score a touchdown. I don't have to learn your silly plays. I'm a talented, strong, fast individual. Just put the ball in my hands and get out of my way. Now, no coach would let anyone play that talked like that. Because he's a hot dog. He does not want to follow the rules. He's not a team player. Well, God has a team. You and I are on the team. And neither can we hot dog it. We must learn the plan. Just like the athlete must learn the plays, we must learn the plan. 
so that when we function in the Christian life, we're not functioning by doing the right thing in the wrong way. The plan has to be learned. And the first thing we learn in the protocol plan of God is that sin will break fellowship with God. Even though we're Christians, even though we're going to heaven, even though we have eternal life, sin breaks fellowship with God. Now, the ironic thing is a lot of people think they don't sin very much. You know, the self-righteous, religious sort of people who think they don't sin very much. When I say religious, I'm talking about a religion as a whole, not necessarily any denominations. Denominations such as Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Church of God, Church of Christ, whatever, Catholic, whatever you want to say, these are denominations. And these are denominations that God uses. I'm not talking about denominations. I'm talking about organized religion. And any denomination can fall into that sometimes. Organized religion is man making an effort to approbate God by being good, by doing something religious, and that doesn't work. As the Bible says, there are none that are religious, none that are righteous, not religious, none that are righteous, not even one. So I don't care how much you tithe. I don't care how much you don't do certain sins. That won't get you to heaven. The only way to get to heaven is through faith alone in Christ alone. And the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God and not of works, lest someone would brag about it. Unfortunately, organized religion will tell you different. Organized religion will tell you, be good, be nice, help your brother, don't do anything bad, and in the end, God will weigh it all out, and maybe you'll get to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says these things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope, not try, not wish. Know it. And that's why the protocol plan of God is so important. When you break sin down and begin to understand the many ways in which we can sin, then you understand that we can sin by even something as simple as what we think. Something that enters into our mind is not necessarily a sin, but when we entertain the lust, it can become a sin. Because all actions start with an attitude, and all attitudes start with a thought. So you have a thought that pops into your mind, and you can deal with it and walk away from it. You don't have to let it sit there and grow like a balloon swelling up. You can walk away from it and say no, or you can let it swell up until eventually it pops, and you pop right into the sin, the sin that you know is wrong, you know we shouldn't do it, and you know the Bible says it's wrong, and yet you do it anyhow. Mental attitude sins are some of the worst that we can do because they involve sins that are hidden to other people. Things like worrying, things like bitterness, things like, uh, oh, shall we say, jealousy. These are all mental attitude sins. And you can be talking to the person that you're sinning against and have a a front going on and they not even know that, that you hate them and you're jealous of them. And you can be smiling and just act like you like them so much. And inside you're burning up. Mental attitude sins are the worst. 
But then also there is another area of sin called sins of the tongue. And this is where you can sin by something you say. The book of James warns about the tongue and how it can set things on fire. And the sins of the tongue include things like slander and maligning and criticizing and backbiting. Things like that that will indeed get you out of fellowship with God. Things like that that will ruin your personal relationship with God because you live that way. And and here's the deal. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. That's not what it means. But what it means is, is that you're going to break fellowship with God. You're going to quench the Holy Spirit. You're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. You're going to isolate yourself and live in the devil's world, a sitting duck, because you can't quit criticizing people or maligning people. I was listening to a radio talk show the other day, and I was amazed at how they maligned an individual on the air. They made fun of him, made fun of his weight, made fun of his looks, made fun of a lot of things, and laughed. That was a total sin. Maligning and criticizing someone over the airways as a form of entertainment is a total sin, but even if you do it not over the airways, just personally, it's a sin. No, the Bible says it's better for you not to judge anybody because if you do, you're going to be judged. And the Bible says you should look at your own eye and see the log sticking out of your eye before you lean over to your neighbor and try to get the little splinter out of his eye. This means that God is in the business of judging people. We don't need to malign them. We don't need to criticize. We don't need to slander or gossip about anyone. These are sins of the tongue. And they can get you out of fellowship with God as quickly as a mental attitude sin does. But quite honestly, they usually follow mental attitude sins. And then there are the overt sins, the actual sins. And that can include anything from stealing to murder and all points in between. Someone asked me recently in a school where I was visiting, could someone who committed murder go to heaven? And my answer was, well, why don't you ask Moses? He murdered someone. He murdered an Egyptian. Why don't you ask David, who murdered Uriah the Hittite, the the husband of Bathsheba, the wife that he took? Ask these men when you get to heaven and you can talk to them, because I assure you, they are in heaven. Does a murderer go to heaven? Not if he doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, no. Murder doesn't send you to hell. What sends you to hell is rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Some men may be listening today that are incarcerated and listening to these messages. You would never go to hell because of the sin you committed. You would go to hell because you rejected the forgiveness that God offers in the form of Jesus Christ. Now, you may wind up in the hell of misery, in the hell of guilt, in the hell of implacable thinking because of what you did. And you may hate yourself for it. But that is not why you would go to hell. The only reason anyone would ever wind up in the lake of fire is because they have not believed in Jesus Christ, the anointed Son of God. He that believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And he that believes not, the wrath of God shall abide on him forever. John chapter 3, it's simple, it's plain. Is Jesus Christ the anointed Son of God? 
or isn't he? Did he die for your sins? Was he your substitute? Did he take your place or did he not? That's how simple it is. So when we're talking about the plan of God, understanding the plan of God, learning to function in the protocol plan of God, then it all starts with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is the Lord of all. He is our Savior. And he provided for us this phenomenal life, this phenomenal way to live. It's called the protocol plan of God. And the first thing you have to learn in the protocol plan of God is how do we keep our relationship with God fresh every day? Do we get up and read a 10-minute devotional? What do we do every day to keep our relationship fresh with God? Well, here's what you do. Once you believe in Jesus Christ, once you accept him as your Savior, you're going to have three enemies that will oppose you, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The objective of all three of these is to defeat you spiritually so you don't grow in advance and glorify God to the maximum. You're already going to heaven. They didn't win that battle. You accepted Christ. So now they're going to stop you from glorifying Christ through your life. And they do it by discouraging you. They do it by distracting you or even all of these discouragement and distraction in the Christian life equals up to defeat. They defeat you. You have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. When you answer the call of the world, answer the call of the flesh, or listen to advice from the devil, then you sin. And when you sin, you break fellowship with God. You're out of fellowship with God. You're still saved. You're still in the royal family, but you're out of fellowship with God. And problem-solving device number one is something that God gave us that tells us how to solve the problem of sin. What should we do? See, a lot of people get all guilty about it, and they want to go stand in front of the wailing wall and receive 40 lashes on the back with a wet noodle so that they can show contrition for what they did. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible lays it out very simply. If is the verse. If we confess our sin. 1 John 1, nine, The very first problem-solving device. If we confess our sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to purify us from all of our wrongdoing. It all starts out with a big if. Number one, if you acknowledge it, if you even recognize it as a sin, many people every day commit sin and don't recognize it as sin. They don't recognize that slander and that maligning and that gossiping was sin. They don't recognize the traits of the old sin nature. But if you do, and if you know when you've sinned, you have one or two options. You can ignore the sin and stay on the my way highway, or you can turn around and go back to your Heavenly Father and admit it. And if you do that, he will be faithful and just to forgive you. If you don't admit it and you stay on the my way highway, Eventually, you're going to run into a danger zone called divine discipline. This is where the hand of God will swiftly lower the hammer on your soft head. Why? Is he mad at you? No. What's he trying to do? He's trying to save your life because you have the ability to destroy yourself. 
So God gives a little discipline to correct you, to correct the course so that you won't wander off. So he goads you like a farmer would goad a mule to keep walking a straight path. Rebound is a great problem-solving device because it solves the problem of not only the one sin that I do, but the other ten sins that I do that I did not remember. Yes, yeah, you can forget them real quick. But listen to the verse. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and then to cleanse us from all, all, all unrighteousness, even the sins you don't remember. He takes care of that also. And this is how you can stay in fellowship with God. This is how his Holy Spirit control your life. And this is the first step in growing in grace. It is the first problem-solving device. It's first in the protocol plan of God. If you don't learn how to deal with your sin and do it immediately, not waiting until you go to bed at night, not waiting until the next day, and calling a spade a spade, tell him exactly what you did. Because the Greek word in this passage, if we confess, confess in the original manuscript, is a compound verb called homo legeo. Homo, meaning the same, and legeo, to say, if we say the same. So what God is waiting is for you to tell him exactly what you did. We agree with him in that. When you do that, he's faithful and just to forgive you and then to purify you from all of your wrongdoing, even if you have to admit it 20, 30, 40 times. He does it every time. He's not going to say, okay, I've already forgiven it 25 times. I'm not going to forgive it again. This is getting repetitive. Every time God forgives, he forgets. It's not like you're bringing something old up to him. He forgets it. He cleanses you from it. And you move on. You're in fellowship. But that's not all of the Christian life. Then you got to grow a little bit. You see, that's why the Holy Spirit was given to you, to guide you and instruct you. So if you're in fellowship, if the Holy Spirit's in control of your life, there's no unconfessed sin in your life then you have the opportunity to grow and develop a faith rest drill in your life. It's like picking up the shield of faith in Ephesians 6. The faith rest drill is problem-solving device number three. Picking up that shield of faith, standing behind that shield of faith, so that when Satan sends his fiery darts your way, it will deflect those fiery darts and you won't be defeated. You won't even be distracted. You won't get discouraged. You'll just keep advancing in the plan of God. So, picking up the shield of faith, staying filled with the Holy Spirit, phenomenal way to live. It's the Christian life. That's what it's all about. The first three problem-solving devices, rebound. Problem-solving device number two, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Problem-solving device number three, faith rest drill. Faith rest drill, standing behind the promises of God. Filling of the Holy Spirit, when you rebound, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're actually given the Holy Spirit at salvation. And rebound, problem-solving device number one, how do I deal with my sin when I commit it? Do I need to go to a priest? Do I need to go to a mediator? Or can I go straight to God myself? And the Bible says you can go straight to God yourself. You are a believer priest. You can confess your sin to God yourself. Well, I hope this is making sense.
I hope it's clicking in your head. I hope wherever you are listening on this Sunday morning, that this is a Sunday that you've grown in grace. That's my prayer. I pray you'll continue to stay with us until next week. This is Rick Hughes saying thank you for listening to The Flatline. Thank you for listening to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.